0: Part six of Queen of the Martian Catacombs by Lee Douglas Brackett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part six Stark saw it rising against the morning sky, a city of gold and marble, high on an island of rose red coral laid bare by the vanished sea. Sinharat, the ever living. Yet it had died. As he came closer to it, plodding slowly through the sand, he saw that the place was no more than a beautiful corpse, the lovely towers broken, the roofless palaces open to the sky. Whatever life Kainon and his armies might have foisted upon Sinharat was no more than the fleeting passage of ants across the perfect bones of the dead. "'What was it like before?' he asked with the blue water around it and the banners flying. Beryl turned a dark, calculating look upon him. "'I told you before to forget that madness. If you talk it, no one will believe you.' "'No one? You had best not anger me, wild man,' she said quietly. "'I may be your only hope of life before this is over.' They did not speak again." going with slow, weary steps toward the city. In the desert, below the coral cliffs, the armies of Kainon were encamped, the tall warriors of Kesh and Shun waiting, with their women and their beasts and their shining spears, for the pipers to cry them over the border. The skin tents and the long picket lines were too many to count, in the distance a convertible Kalman spacer that Stark recognized as the made an ugly, jarring incongruity. Lookout sighted the two toiling figures in the distance. Men and women began to stream out across the sand, and presently a great cheering arose. Where he had looked on emptiness for days, Stark was smothered now by the press of thousands— Berald was picked up and carried on the shoulders of two chiefs, and men would have carried Stark also, but he fought them off. Broad flights of steps were cut in the coral. The throng flowed upward along them. Ahead of them all went Eric John Stark, and he was smiling. From time to time he asked a question, and men drew back from that question and his smile. Up the steps and into the streets of Sinharat he went, with slow, relentless stride, asking, Where is Luhar of Venus? Every man there read death in his face, but they did not try to stop him. People came out of the graceful ruins, drawn by the clamor, and the tide rolled down the broadways, the rose-red streets of coral, until it spread out in the square before a great palace of gold and ivory and white marble blinding in the sun. Luhar of Venus came down the terraced steps, fresh from sleep, his pale hair tumbled, his eyes still drowsy. Others came through the door behind him. Stark did not see them. They did not matter. Beryl didn't matter, calling his name from where she sat on the shoulders of the chiefs. "'Nothing, no one mattered but himself and Luhar. "'He crossed the square, not hurrying, "'a dark, ravaged giant in rags. "'He saw Luhar pause on the bottom step. "'He saw the sleep and the vagueness go out of the Venusians' eyes "'as they rested first on the red-haired woman, then on himself. "'He saw the fear come into them and the undying hate.' Someone got between him and Luhar. Stark lifted the man and flung him aside without breaking his stride and went on. Luhar half-turned. He would have run away back into the palace, but there were too many now between him and the door. He crouched and drew his gun. Stark sprang. He came like a great black panther leaping, and he struck low. Luhar's shot went over his back. After that there was no more shooting. There was a moment, terribly short and silent, in which the two men lay entangled, straining against each other in a sort of stasis. Then Luhar screamed. Stark knew dimly that there were hands, many of them trying to drag him away. He clung growling to the Venusian until he was torn loose by main force. He struggled against his captors, and through a red haze he saw Kynon's face, close to his and very angry. Luhar was not yet dead. "'I warned you, Stark,' said Kynon furiously. "'I warned you!' Men were bending over Luhar, Knighton, Walsh, Themis, Arad. Stark saw that Delgon was among them. He did not question at the time how word had gone back to Valkis and sent Delgon racing across the Dead Sea-bottom with his hired bravos to search for the red-haired woman. It was right that Delgon should be there. In short, ragged sentences Stark told how Luhar and Freka had tried to kill him, and how Beryl had been lost with him. Kainon turned to the Venusian. Death was already glazing the cloud-gray eyes, but it had not quenched the hatred and the venom. He lies, whispered Luhar. I saw him. He tried to run away and take the woman with him. Luhar of Venus, taking vengeance with his last breath. Frika pushed forward transparently eager to pick up his cue. "Uh, "'It is so,' he said. "'I was with Luhar. I saw it also.' Delgon laughed. Cruel, silent laughter. He stood up and looked at Beryl. Beryl's eyes were blazing. She ignored Delgon and spoke to Kynon. "'You fool! Can't you see that they hate him? What Stark says is true, and I would have died in the desert because of them.' if Stark hadn't been a better man than all of you. "'Strange words,' said Delgon, coming from a man's own mate. "'Perhaps Luhar did lie after all. Perhaps it was not Stark who tried to run away, but you.' She cursed him with an ancient curse. Kynon looked at her sullenly. He said to the men who held Stark, "'Chain him below in the dungeons.' then he took Beryl's arm and went with her into the palace. Stark fought until someone behind him knocked him on the head with the butt of a spear. The last thing he saw was the face of Fiona standing out from the crowd, wide-eyed with pity and love. He came to in a place of cold, dry stone. There was an iron collar around his neck, and a five-foot chain ran from it to a ring in the wall the cell was small a gate of iron bars closed the single entrance beyond was an open well with other cell doors around it and above were thick stone gratings open to the sky he guessed that the place had been built beneath some inner court of the palace there were no other prisoners but there was a guard a thick-shouldered barbarian who sat on the execution block in the center of the well with a sword and a jug of wine. A guard who watched the captive Stark and smiled. Freka. When he saw that Stark was awake, Freka lifted up the jug and laughed. "'Here's to death,' he said, "'for no one else comes here.' He drank, and after that he did not speak, only sat and smiled. Stark said nothing either. He waited WITH THE SAME UNHUMAN PATIENCE HE HAD SHOWN WHEN HE WAITED FOR HIS CAPTORS UNDER THE TOR. THE dim DAYLIGHT FADED FROM THE GRATINGS. DARKNESS CAME, AND THE PALE GLIMMERING OF THE MOONS. FREKA BECAME A SILVERED STATUE OF A MAN, SITTING ON THE BLOCK. STARK'S EYES GLOWED. THE EMPTY JUG DROPPED AND BROKE. FREKA ROSE. He took the naked sword in his hand and crossed the open space to the cell. He lifted the outer bar away. It fell with a great echoing clang, and Freka entered. "'Stand up, Outlander,' he said. Stand up and face the steel. After that you'll sleep in a coral pit and not even the worms will find you.' "'Beast of Shanga!' Stark said contemptuously and set his back against the wall to give himself all the slack of the chain. He saw the bright steel glimmer in the air, up and down again, but when the blow fell he had leaped aside, and the point struck ringing against the stone. Stark darted in to grapple, his fingers slipped on hard muscle, and Freeka wrenched away. He was a fighting man and no weakling. The iron collar dug painfully into the earthman's throat, and the heavy chain threw him backward. Freaka laughed deep in his chest. The sword glinted hungrily. Then, as though she had taken shape suddenly from the shadows, Fianna was in the doorway. The little gun in her hand made a hissing spurt of flame. Freaka screamed once and fell. He did not move again. The swine, Fiona said without emotion. Delgon ordered him to wait until it was sure that Kynon would not come down to talk to you. Then the story was to be that you had escaped somehow with Beryl's aid. She stepped over the body and unlocked the iron collar with a key she took from her girdle. Stork took her slender shoulders gently between his hands. "'Are you a witch-girl that you know all things and always come when I need you?' She gave him a deep, strange look. In the dusk her proud young face was unfamiliar, touched with something fey and sad. He wished that he could see her eyes more clearly. "'I know all things because I must,' she told him wearily. "'And I think that you are my only hope, perhaps the only hope of Mars.' He drew her to him and kissed her and stroked her dark head. YOU'RE TOO YOUNG TO CONCERN YOURSELF WITH THE destinies OF WORLDS. HE FELT HER TREMBLE. THE YOUTH OF THE BODY IS ONLY ILLUSION WHEN THE MIND IS OLD. AND IS YOURS OLD, LITTLE ONE? OLD, SHE WHISPERED, AS OLD AS Beryl's. HE FELT HER TEARS WARM AGAINST HIS SKIN, AND SHE WAS LIKE A CHILD IN HIS ARMS. THEN YOU KNOW ABOUT HER? said Stark. Yes, he paused. And Delgon? Delgon also? I thought so, Stark said. He nodded, scowling at the barred moonlight in the well. There are things I must know myself, but we'd better get out of here. Did Beryl send you? Yes, as soon as she could get the key from Kynon, she is waiting for you. She stirred Frika's body with her foot. Bring that. We'll hide it in the pit he meant for you. Stark heaved the body over his shoulder and followed the girl through a twisting maze of corridors, some pitch-dark, some feebly lighted by the moons. Fianna moved as surely as though she were in the main square at high noon. There was the silence of death in these cold tunnels and the dry, faint smell of eternity. At length, Fianna whispered, here, be careful.' She put out a hand to guide him, but Stark's eyes were like a cat's in the dark. He made out a space where the rock with which the ancient builders had faced these subterranean ways gave place to the original coral. Ragged black mouths opened in the coral, entrances to some unguessed catacombs beneath. Stark consigned Frika to the nearest pit then reluctantly threw his sword in after him. "'You won't need it,' Frianna told him, and besides it would be recognized. "'This will be a bitter night enough without rousing the men of Shun over Freka's death.' Stark listened to the distant sliding echoes from the pit and shivered. He had so nearly finished there himself. He was glad to follow Fianna away from that place of darkness and silent death.' He stopped her in a place where a bar of moonlight came splashing through a great crack in the tunnel roof. Now, he said, we will talk. She nodded. Yes, the time has come for that. There are lies everywhere, said Stork. I am tangled up in lies. You know the truth that is behind this war of kinons. Tell me. "'Kinon's truth is simple,' she answered, speaking slowly, choosing her words. "'He wants land and power, conquest. "'He will pour out the blood of his people for that, "'and after that he plans to use the men of the low canals under Delgon "'to keep the tribesmen in line. "'It may be true, as he said, "'that they would be satisfied with grazing lands and water, "'but they would lose their freedom and their pride, "'and I think he has judged them wrongly.' I think they would revolt. She looked up at Stark. He planned to use your knowledge, then destroy you if you became troublesome. I guessed that. What about the others? The outlanders? Use them. Keep them as subordinates or pay them off. Kill them if necessary. Now, said Stark, what of Delgon and beryl Fiona said softly, their truth, too, is simple. They took Kynon's idea of empire and stretched it further. It was Delgon's idea to bring the strangers in. They would use Kynon and the tribes until the victory was won. Then they would do away with Kynon and rule themselves, with the outlanders and their ships and their powerful weapons to oppress low-canalers and Drylander alike. That way they could rape a world— more outland vultures would come, drawn by the smell of loot. The Martian men would fight as long as there was the hope of plunder. After that, they would be slaves to hold the empire. Their masters would grow fat on tribute from the city-states, and from the men of earth who have built here, or who wish to build. An evil plan, but profitable. Stark thought about Nighton and Walsh of Terra, Themis of Mercury, Arad of Callisto Colony. He thought of others like them and what they would do with their talons hooked in the heart of Mars. He thought of Delgon's yellow eyes. He thought of Beryl, and he was sick with loathing. Fiona came close to him, speaking in a different tone that had care and anxiety only for him. "'I've told you this because I know what Beryl's plans. Tonight—' Oh, tonight is a black and evil time, and death waits in Sinharat. It is very close to me, I know, and you must follow your own heart, Eric John Stark. I cannot tell you more." He kissed her again because she was sweet and very brave. Then she led him on through the dark labyrinth to where Beryl was waiting, with her dangerous beauty and all the evil of the ages in her soul. They came out of the darkness so suddenly that Stark blinked in the unaccustomed light of torches set in great silver sconces on the walls. The floor had been artificially smoothed, but otherwise this crypt was as the eroding action of the sea had shaped it out of the coral reef. It was not large, and it was like a cavern in a fairy tale, walled and roofed with the fantastic wreathing shapes of the rose red coral. At one end there was a golden coffer set with flaming jewels. Beryl was there. Her wonderful hair was dressed and shining, and her body was clothed all in white, her arms and shoulders warm bronze from the kiss of the desert sun. Kynon was there also. He stood motionless and silent, and he did not so much as turn his head when Fiona and Stark came in. His eyes were wide open and blank as a blind man's. "'I have been waiting,' said Beryl, "'and the time is short.' She seemed angry and impatient, and Stark said, "Frika is dead. It was necessary to hide his body.' She nodded and turned to the girl. "'Go now, Fiona. Fiona bent her head and went away. She did not look at Stark. It was as though she had no interest in anything that happened.' Stark looked at Kynon, who had not moved or spoken. "'He is safe enough,' said Beryl, answering Stark's unspoken question. "'I drugged his wine so that his mind was open to mine, and he is my creature as long as I will it.' "'Hypnosis,' Stark thought. His nerves were beginning to do strange things. He wished desperately that he was back in the cell facing Freika's sword, which at least would deal with him openly and without guile or subterfuge. Beryl set her hands on Stark's shoulders and smiled as she had done that night by the ancient well. I offer you three things tonight, wild man, she said, her eyes challenging him, and the scent of her hair was sweet and maddening. Your life, and power, and myself. Stark, let his hand slip lightly down from her shoulders to her waist. "'And how will you do this thing?' he asked. "'Easily,' she said, and laughed. She was very proud and sure of her strength, and glad to be alive. Oh, oh, very easily. You guessed the truth about me. I am of the twice-born, the Ramas.' I hold the secret of the sending on of mines, which this great ox Kynon pretended to have. I can give you life now and forever. Remember, Wild Man, forever! He bent his dark face to hers so that their lips touched and murmured, Would I have you forever, Beryl? Until you tire of me, or I of you. She kissed him, and then added mockingly, Delgon has had me for a thousand years, and I am weary of him, so very weary. A thousand years is a long time, said Stark, and I am not Delgon. No, you are a beast, a savage, (laughs) a most magnificent cold-eyed animal, and that is why I love you. She touched the muscle of his breast, and then his throat, and added, It's a pity there will never be another body like this one. We must keep it as long as we can. What is your plan? Stark asked her. Simply this. I will place your mind in Kainon's body. You will be Kainon with all his power. You will be able then to keep Delgon in check. Later you can destroy him, but... "'Not until after the battle is won, for we need the men of Valkus and Jakara. "'You can keep your own body safe from him, and at the worst, "'if by some chance he should succeed in slaying the man he believes to be you, "'you will still be alive.' "'And after the battle,' said Stark softly, "'what then, Berold? "'We will rule together,' She held her palms against his, "'You have strong hands, wild man. Would you not like to hold a world between them and me?' She looked up at him, her eyes suddenly shrewd and probing. "'Or do you still believe the nonsense you talked to Kynon about the tribes?' Stark smiled. "'It's easy to have principles when there's no gain involved.' No, I am, as my name says, a man without a tribe. I have no loyalties, and if I had, would I remember them now? He held her, as she had said, between his hands, and they were very strong. But even then Beryl would warn him. Keep faith with me, then. My wisdom is greater than yours, and I have powers you don't dream of. What I give I can take away." For answer Stark silenced her mouth with his own. When she drew away she said rather breathlessly, "'Let us hurry. The tribes are gathered, and Kynon was to have given the signal for war at dawn. There is much I would teach you between now and then.' She paused, with her hand on the lid of the golden coffer. "'This is a secret place,' she said quietly. "'Since before the ocean died it has been secret. Not even Kynon knew of it. I think only Delgon and I, the last of the twice-born, knew. And now you.' "'What about Fianna?' Beryl shrugged. "'She is only my servant. To her this is only a little cavern where I keep my private wealth.' She pressed a series of patterned bosses in intricate sequence, and there was a sharp click of an opening lock. A shiver ran up along Stark's spine. The beast in him longed to run, to be away from this whole business that smelled of evil. But the man in him knelt at Beryl's wish and waited, and did not flinch when the blank-eyed Kynon came like a moving corpse beside him. Beryl raised the golden lid AND THERE WAS A GREAT SILENCE. ON THE SLAVE BLOCK OF VALCUS KINON HAD BROUGHT FORTH TWO CROWNS OF SHINY CRYSTAL AND A ROD OF FLAME. AS GLASS IS TO DIAMOND, AS THE pallid MOON TO THE LIGHT OF THE SUN, WERE THOSE THINGS TO THE REALITY. IN HER TWO HANDS Berald HELD THE ANCIENT CROWNS OF THE RAMAS, THE GIVERS OF LIFE twin circles of glorious fire, dimming the shallow glare of the torches, putting a nimbus of light around the white-clad woman, so that she was like a goddess walking in a cloud of stars. Stark's whole being contracted to a point of icy pain at the beauty and the wonder and the terror of them. She set one crown on Kynon's head, and even the drugged automaton shivered and sighed at its touch. Stark's mind veered away from the incredible thing that was about to happen. It spoke words to him, hurried, desperate words of sanity, about the electrical patterns of the mind and the sensitivity of crystals and conductors and electromagnetic impulses. But that was only the top of his brain— at the base it was still the brain of unchaka that believed in gods and demons and all the sorceries of darkness. Only pride kept him from cowering abjectly at Beryl's feet. She stood above him, a creature of dreams and the unearthly light. She smiled and whispered, Do not fear. And she placed the second crown upon his head. A strange, shuddering fire swept through him. It was as though some chip of the primal heart of all creation had been set by an unguessed magic into the cells of the crystal. The force that shaped the universe and scattered forth the stars and set the great suns to spinning. There was something awesome about it, something almost holy. And yet... He was afraid, most shockingly afraid. His brain was set free in some strange fashion. The walls of his skull vanished. His mind floated in a dim vastness. It was like a tiny sun, glowing, spinning, swelling. Beryl lifted a crystal rod from the coffer, a wand of sorcerous fire. And now Stark's thoughts had lost all track of science. A cloud of misty darkness flowed around him, thickened, a great leaping flare of light, a distant echo of a cry that he did not recognize as his own, and then nothing. End of Part 6